The saying, more than skin deep, means a lot more than what we could have imagined in episodes 5 and 6 of Lovecraft Country. Ruby gets a major makeover, Mancho steps into his truth, and we soon find out who, or should we say, what was on the other end of those phone calls to Korea. I'm Denny. And I'm Veronica. On this episode of Forks and Fangs, we continue our Tiny Bite series of HBO's Lovecraft Country. Stay tuned. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. Welcome back to Tiny Bites. So for all the people that were asking, what is Tiny Bites? Well, let me give you a little refresher, especially those from the people in the UK. Across the pond. (laughs) So we had a um, phone-in question. Um, Tiny Bites is something that we do when we like a show. Mm -hmm. This show might not necessarily be written by a person of color. But we give it a gentle pass because the people that are in this series or TV show or movie uh, are are people of color. Mm-hmm. So basically, the heroes are the people of color. And yeah, we don't give a shit who wrote it. Like, I mean, we do, but... We do, in a sense, um, but... They have to give justice, though, to the characters. Right. Um, and the story has to make sense. Or not, and we bash them. But in this case... Not with, for Lovecraft. Yep. Oh, never, no. never. Never for this show. Um, and then the people that they chose to write for the screenplay for this um, series are people of color. Yes, her name is Misha Green. She's a black woman, uh, black screenwriter, who is known for writing um, the series Underground. Uh, that also starred Journey Smollett. So um, that's why we decided that we were going to, you know, review this this series, watch it and review it, because the main characters, the lead characters, are people of color um, and not white, as most things are. (laughs) Just PSA for those the people that are wondering, you know? So back to our regular programming. (laughs) Welcome back to Forks and Fangs. That's I'm a De- little PSA at the very beginning. Yes. <laughs> I'm Denny. I'm Veronica. And we're back. And um, today we are reviewing uh, episode five and six yes. of Lovecraft Country. So episode five uh, was all about Miss Ruby. Um, after making a devil's bargain with William, Ruby steps into the charmed shoes of a white woman. A betrayal by Montrose unleashes Atticus' pent-up rage, leaving Letty deeply disturbed and sending Montrose into the comforting arms of his secret lover. So, um, this episode was all about metamorphosis. It's all about change. It's becoming into a new creature. And we saw those themes being played out through the entire show. Yeah, I think my favorite part in this was um, Montrose embracing his his sexuality his real self yes the creepiest part is when they come out from those little skin things <laughs> I cannot I cannot and I'm just like <laughs> and I'm I deal with blood every day but that was fucked up <laughs> it was fucked up how it came about but it was interesting so you have ruby interesting who listen to her interesting <laughs> i thought it was interesting it was it was um you have ruby who wakes up right and she's in the body of this white woman and does not understand like why she's in this body what is going What's on going on and, and so i am white and it's crazy because when we were watching it your husband was like oh that's the lady from the 
What, oh, this, the second episode. I said that. He won't remember shit. Come on, man. Come on. Correction made. It was you, Bene. You doubting me? me? I could have sworn it was Basil that no, said it. No. No. I was like, wasn't that the lady that got killed in the stairs? I closed my eyes for half of this show, <laughs> but that chick, I remember. You remember her face. Unfortunately, I did not remember it. I had to Google it, and uh, she indeed was correct in that um, in that statement, so, which, you know, made me confused. I'm like, how the fuck did she get here? She was dead. She was knocked out. Why was she alive? What, what is going on? What is going on? And soon we realize, um, that after Ruby wakes up, she goes out screaming into the street and try to figure out, you know, what's going on. And there's an incident that happens with her and a black boy who is trying to help her. Um, but you know, she turns around and runs into him and police come and they are basically ready to, and they have started to assault this young man. And she realizes that she has the power as a white woman to be able to be like, no, he didn't do anything. And they back up off of him. Yep. Instead of taking the word of this young man who didn't didn't do anything, but bump into her. Mm -hmm. Um, so she... Makes her way back home, and she realizes, like, you know, something's crazy going on, and William, uh, who she has previously, in the previous episode, has, you know, formed some one-night stand situation there. Relationship, yeah, whatever that some you call weird it. thing, but, um, they've gotten together, and he basically reveals to her, like, you know, you, you're, you're in the body of a white woman and he he rips her body off and what i liked about this what i didn't notice when i rewatched it yesterday was the fact that there was a television show that he he went and turned the tv on it was the news and they were talking mm-hmm. about these locusts that was coming from like kenya or somewhere mm-hmm. and he, they started talking about the metamorphosis steps like from larva to butterfly or look in that purpose locust mm-hmm. so um the idea of what it would be to have the skin of a white person um not necessarily an idea of what it was what would it be to be white but more so of what it would be to have the power of said whiteness mm-hmm. um has definitely been a thing that I thought about yeah good think sure. about on a, on every day yeah not really every day but it comes up every it, now and then yep. Yeah. Because then, you know, just every, everywhere you see it, it's not a secret. You see it every, like, in place of work, in mm-hmm. the grocery store, like, parking, like, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I just saw it in Target the other day, like, you know, this is white women with a kid, and it's like, oh, we're coming back for these, I'm just gonna go to, the, like, the restroom, and, like, ma'am, like, can just interrupt anything, and be like, ma'am... <laughs> I was in the, I was in, you know, paying for my stuff, mm-hmm. and she was just like, "Ma'am, excuse me, can you just watch for my stuff? I'm just going to the go, like, I'm just going to the um, the bathroom." And were you in line? I was paying, I was paying for my stuff, and she just stops whatever I'm doing with my cashier, and just says, "Ma'am, can you please watch for my stuff? I need to go to the bathroom." Simple things like that. Oh no! If if that was a different, a different race, and the cashier was just like, "Okay, I'll do it." I don't think if it's anybody else, and this is simple. I might be petty, but you you can see like you know to them it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what if the roles were reversed and she was paying, and I need I was the one who needed to go to the bathroom. Excuse me, I I'm in line. You're not in line. That would have been the conversation. Mm-hmm. I I had the same thing that happened to me not too long ago. I had gone to Publix to get looking for some libation for my birthday. Shout out to Target and Publix. Beow, 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 beow. Um, we love your sponsorship if you give it to us. But anywho, <laughs> uh, I was in li- I was in line standing there getting ready to buy something to drink and uh. Right when I was getting ready to step forward, someone finished paying. I was I was ready to just to go. This white lady walks in and gets in front of me, 
and begins she she like looked at me as if to it wasn't to say excuse me it was like i'm already here and begins to pay for this product that she had left behind the counter now if she had said like excuse me i just need to i was just in here or whatever i would get that but i thought it was rude for her not to even like say anything just kind of like look at me as if like don't move forward and, you know, this is my perception of what I'm perceiving in this moment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, words go a long way. Yeah. And so there's something to be said about the way that white people are able to move throughout the world at their own own will. Because when we, when we go back to Ruby, who has decided to, you know, there's this potion that she drinks that... We find out that the woman is indeed dead from the previous episode, but William is using the blood of this woman to uh, regenerate. To regenerate her, basically make a skin clone for Ruby to be encompassed in. Yep, like um, a little cocoon for the butterfly. Yeah, and he he convinces her, you know, like in a in a kind of way of like you know you know you want this. Yep. So why don't you go out and try it? And she does. She she drinks it. She goes out and she gets things for free. And she goes wherever she wants yeah, to. She places that she's never been. And that is what whiteness is. It is literally like a card to allow you to get into spaces where other people would be denied. Or be afraid to go to. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they would be, you know, met with um, resistance. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that episode really, it really spoke to me about what it means to be able to move throughout because, you know, later on we see that Ruby decides that she's going to go and get a job at the Marshall Field store where she previously had gone to try Mm -hmm. to get a job from before because she heard from her, she heard from, I think it was Letty that told her that they had hired a black girl there. Mm -hmm. And, um, when she goes... You know, she goes as the white woman. She immediately gets the job, um, even though she's met with, um, I guess, I guess he's what the store manager. Yep. Who is definitely pervert, pervert. Oh yeah. Pervert, pervert. Um, he's hitting on her inappropriately, com mm-hmm. inappropriate comments. So, in a way, you see where there are some things that she would have to deal with just with him alone, but she's immediately given that job. Yeah, and it's also interesting on how she had this interaction with the other ladies there that were white. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, I think the black lady that was there. Mm-hmm. Like, she was almost kind of, like, getting onto her first because Ruby had all the degrees. Right. And then she, the other black lady got there because she was slim, she was pretty, she was young. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that she, she got onto that lady was, like... She was telling her, you got to be better than everybody else. you got to prove yourself to them that you can do this, that you're smarter, you're better. Everything, like every, I think, person of color knows mm-hmm. what to do if they're put in a situation where, where they are in a disadvantage of. In work, in school, or just in a line of grocery store. Mm-hmm. you got to be alert, aware, you got to have the ability to prove things. Mm-hmm. When you are questioned, you got to know... A to Z. Got to know the whole encyclopedia of all pretty, things. Pretty much. You can't look stupid. Right. But also, you you got to look the part, play the part, and do it two times better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the younger the younger black lady, she was like, oh, you know, she's getting on to me. And, like, I just got to be calm and collected because it's like, she's like my manager of some mm-hmm. sort. She's like my boss. This white lady is just trying to, like, get to me. And try maybe try to fire me. Maybe she doesn't like me, but you know she doesn't know that it's Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's it, that to me was the most interesting kind of like um, like situation because it I almost you know I almost saw myself doing that to myself. Mm-hmm. Like Jenny, you gotta be good. You gotta be smarter. You know, you gotta prove yourself in this area where you you know when you're seen as. A little, like, a little person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am short. I am little. But it's just, it's hard to overcome certain stereotypes given to you by people that 
it's kind of like running this country. Mm-hmm. People so, who are in place, who are in a place of privilege and, and power. Power. Mm-hmm. Power. Yeah, for sure. I think it was interesting to see Ruby try to think, you know, her way through that interaction with her and the and the young black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. First, you could tell that she was irritated that she was able to get that job without having any credentials oh, yeah. whatsoever. She, she, she was just like, "What? Yeah, you just, you, 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 you did this, you did this in a whim." Mm-hmm. But it was also interesting in the way that she came back after she had to go and do that favor um, that William had had requested of her of serving the men and the police officers at the lodge mm-hmm. of her coming back and and being like you know um and choosing to be white again choosing to be white mm-hmm. again but also telling the black girl what all the things that she needed to do in order to protect her, her position job. at that yeah. job right so she you know is trying to go through these two modes of like jealousy and then still being accountable of your sister of mm-hmm. like a, you know like telling her like these white folks are crazy they will you know literally cut you up and hang you in the closet because she it was almost as if she was telling her what she saw she was telling her what she saw the night of her going to work at that lodge mm-hmm. um and also the conversations she had with the other white women yeah all oh, the conversation of them basically not working them lollygagging, you know, when they were supposed to be, like, I guess on their break or whatever. Trying all the clothes. Yeah. Talking and... shit about this, like, other younger black black lady. About, like, oh, maybe she could bring us to the side of her town so, so we can see what they're, like, how, like, you know, like, in their club or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, some 1950s manner. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are some people out there in the world that see black people as a straight-up, you know, like, zoo like let's go to the zoo and visit the animals and see what they're doing not realizing or not taking into consideration that black people are people these are lives and that's you know they they go and move just like anyone else well to a certain degree (laughs) as most people could Mm -hmm. uh, especially during that time so ruby's storyline um was very uh, important very... in revealing of what whiteness is, oh, yeah. right? So then when we, we go to Montrose, his storyline is totally different in a way of him coming into himself and being true to, you know, who he has always been, which is a gay black man. Because it's, you know, we can't forget, this is in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely a taboo it's still a taboo. It's still a taboo, especially within the black community. That is, mm-hmm. is is an extreme taboo. Um, even considering where we are, where we see like televisions like Pose or RuPaul's Drag Race, where it has become more mainstream mm-hmm. um, to cisgender people. Yep. Uh, it is definitely, you know, a, a thing where it is continue to be a problem with coming out to your family members. Um, and it's never easy, whoever you are. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. No, not at all. So um, Montrose character, we, we find out, you know, that it is, that he is indeed gay. Um, you had hinted at it in the very beginning. Yeah, because I was like, you know, it was it was Uncle George that was saying, like, you know, when we were younger, you were cheering on like, is it is it football? Or no, it was baseball? the the Negro Baseball League had come to town. Yeah, and you were and cheering up game. in the stands. You were up there early, and you were cheering on as they come in. And I was just like, he a cheerleader? <laughs> and you were like, and I was oh. like, no, I'm like he's going, you know, like cheering for the team. And I'm like, I swear to you, Uncle George knew that he gay. And you were like, no, no. And I'm just like, he is. I was oblivious to the storyline of what was happening in that conversation. And so. my gator was like, me, 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 me. So you picked it. You picked it up. But I, I did not. So, um, yeah. So, Montrose. <laughs> uh, we see he, 
I guess it's after he... Okay, so we can't skip this part because this is like after he in, um, reveals that he has killed Yahima. Yeah, so Tick was so pissed off. He uh, almost beat him to a pulp. Yeah. Yeah, he almost yeah. could have got to the point where he killed his, killed his dad because mm-hmm. he killed Yahima who was like the key to getting yeah understanding the text yeah of like you know titus's pages because mm-hmm. they were like we can't read this like they, they were studying it but she was right there she was she could translate it in two minutes yeah all of it and then he killed her and we didn't know why we don't understand at this point we don't understand mm-hmm. why montrose would kill yahima we just know that that's what he did and so he basically is like, I don't want anything to happen to you all. We don't need to be fucking with this magic shit. We just need to leave it all in the past. Like, let's just go yeah. on with our lives. Not only did he kill Yahima, but he also burnt the pages that they yep. went to hell and back to go they get. They could have all died getting those pages. And here he is killing the lady and then killing and then burning the pages. I would have been like... Motherfucker, why did you even go with us? Like, why are you here? Can you just leave? Can you just go? They could have just done that on their own. That's no. why I understand Tick's frustration. Because he'd be like, I thought you were proud of me. You were saying, I'm proud of you, boy. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, all this praises going through all of this shit with me and then destroying all of it. For what? Why? For why? why? For who? For why come? It uh. just... I and obviously Letty is, you know, she later finds out that that Montrose indeed killed her. I I guess he thought she initially thought that he like let her go. Yeah, and Tick Tick knew for so the Letty was kind of like oblivious, like I was at the beginning of the <laughs> series. Letty so was she was like, like huh? Oh, how did she not get that after? Watching Tick beat him up, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Letty was just like, you know, they have the, this hate between each other. Mm. So, and Letty was like, I don't, I mean, I don't want to, the first thing that I would think would be like, oh, you killed, you killed Yahima? That, I wouldn't, that won't be my first thought. He either. had blood still on his hands. But I guess they didn't look at his I fingers. Know. I don't know. But, you know, how can one be there and then all of a sudden no longer be there? It just lady was like, maybe where's she, she gonna go? Maybe she gotta go. <laughs> maybe she caught the Greyhound back home. Who knows? And Tick was like, Letty, <laughs> oh girl, come on now. He he killed it in her. So he <laughs> killed her, and so that you know that sparked up an argument between him and Montrose. And Montrose basically went into the arms of um, I can't think of his name, but he he went into the arms of this man that he had been having this secret relationship with for quite a while um and it was the place he was the he was the owner of the bar that tick would normally find his dad drunk in um and that was where he went in the very beginning um of the series so we see montrose um have sex um with this person and you know that's definitely confirmation that Matros is indeed gay, and um, you know that also starts a lot of questioning because Matros was married, and you know he had this relationship with his with his wife, and you know Atticus, like where where does Atticus, you know, lie in with all of that, um, and we then see uh, Matros. Spend, you know, spend the evening um, with this person who does drag. So we see Matros who has, you know, gone over to Sammy's house, yeah. apartment, um, and and met up with him and they have sex. And um, later on in the evening, he you realize that Sammy um, is does drag yep. and is there with other other men who are also doing drag as well and they're getting ready to go out and do a performance and it is this moment where you hear sammy uh tell the tale of like what his what his show will be about Mm -hmm. and it is literally all about the locusts coming from africa the cicada that's what he he said the migration of the cicada and so it is him talking about this whole metamorphosis process again and you hear it this theme is heavy in this show um and it is in 
within Sammy becoming this woman mm-hmm. um, to go out and do drag. And they all go to this bar and you see them and you could tell this is like this, their safe space oh, for yeah. them to do you know, to to be who they want to be in that place. And Montrose gets to a place where he realizes, like, I want, I want this for myself. Mm-hmm. And I need this for myself. And, you know, he, he dances with Sammy. They kiss. And they kiss. And you can tell, like, he, he has decided, like, this is who I am. Yeah. I guess they're kissed. They haven't really kissed from, be- like, before. Mm-hmm. They just... I guess fuck, mm-hmm. but you know. So the gays were were teasing Sammy, like, oh, you know, you you do all these things, but you you never really had like that connection, right? Or that right. intimacy in that level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we then see um, Montrose is now, you know, in this in this moment where he he wants to be true to himself. So you got Ruby deciding that, you know, she is going to go ahead and uh, further along go and wear wear the skin of this white woman to do whatever she wants to do. And we find out that William is also dead. Yeah, this is the this is like the creepiest part. <laughs> William and Christina it's the same person. It's the same person. So, so. it's basically Christina also using that same potion that she gave Ruby so Christina can transform into a white male. Because mm-hmm. the organization that her dad has, it's exclusively for the sons of Adam. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, his father had a daughter. So she was never part of any of the conversation of the magic or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is like what she wanted the most out of everything. Yeah. So... She would transform into William to and be part of everything. That was just so fucked up. I felt bad for Ruby because it seemed as if, you know, oh, you maybe William isn't so bad. Maybe William has broken off from whatever it was at this house that burned down. Like, maybe it was something different. And then you realize, like, oh, fuck, it's Christina. And that just, that she's just... playing Ruby like a fucking violin. I don't know, just really, like, fucked me up. Like, if I were in Ruby's place, that would that would be, like, the red flag. I'm like, so you're... Because, like, she even asked Christina, so, you know, like, to the point, like, do you like doing this with me? Like, you know, like... And she's like, it's William. Like, it's William that you're having this experience with. And it's William that you're talking to. But I'm I, like, no, bitch, that's you! Yeah, William's dead. He can't. He he. He's not communicating from the dead. That is all you. Yeah, the manipulation and everything. Yeah, and unfortunately, Ruby like falls for it, believes it, and you know. But in one part that I thought was um, a poignant part of the conversation of her explaining, like, you know, yes, I am also William. And then she's, like, asking her, what is it that you really... You just don't want to be a white woman. Like, why Why do you really want to be a white woman? Why do you want to take on this skin? What is it that you really want to do? And it was her going to the guy who was tried to rape the black girl yep. from from the, from the store mm-hmm. after they went out onto the south side. Mm-hmm. Um and she basically ends up beating his ass up and then taking her her red bottom shoes it wasn't red bottom shoes but they turned red because she stomped his ass literally like she took the shoe and shoved it up his behind yeah um so she does major damage to him and then in the moment starts to shed her skin and is you know reveals to the yeah, to the man her like last words were powerful yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just like I want you to know, you know, that it was a black woman that did all of this. Mm-hmm. And who, you know, what is he going to say to anybody? There's there's Nobody's no way that he could be like I was assaulted by a black woman whose skin just like fell off. I thought she was white, like nobody. 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 People would think you're crazy that yeah. you're losing it. So 
with Ruby's, you know, going into her metamorphosis and the same as well with Montrose, we got, you know, different sides of what, of what it was that they were going through. Again, Raphael Sadiq kills it with the music because like with Ruby character, I, it was like this Cardi B theme. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, very powerful. It very was sassy. Yeah, especially the last song that they chose to use, um, with with what it was that she did uh, to the store manager. But like her music, and then with Montrose with the the Frank Ocean, and the last song I can't remember the name of the um, the artist, but this that song just sat with me. It it was such a good song, but both uh, you know gay men, um who you know are musicians that they that he chose those particular artists for those moments and i just thought you know rafael sadiq should be getting all the awards for what he does with these song selections really good they're it ties everything together because you'd be like oh you know it's in the 1950s and you would think that it would be like an old timey kind of like song yeah no nope no, no, no. It's very up up to the times and very, very, very intentional. Yes, for sure. So, what what we got next for so, episode uh, Stace, is it? <laughs> so, we're, 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 we're taking it back to Korea. Yes. <laughs> so, um, this is um, a little snippet from L.com because you got you to gotta say your... Um, where you get your information from. That's what we got to do. So um, Somebody's doing their sighted works. Yep. MLA. <laughs> Shout out to all the teachers over APA. there. APA. You, you taught me right. Um, <laughs> so we're going to spend this episode in 1949 and 1950 South Korea. Following Jia, a nurse who turns out to have been the voice on the other end of the phone when Tick called South Korea in episode 2, and again in the last episode. Jia is a lot of things, but mostly she's a romantic enthralled by the verve in light of Judy Garland pictures of the time like Easter Parade and Meet Me in St. Louis. But it's not just the cultural divide keeping her from living her best clang, clang, clang goes to trolley life. There is also a supernatural barrier. See, Jia is a kumiho, which the show describes as a nine-tailed fox spirit that can be summoned into a form of a woman to avenge the wrong done by men. The Kumiho has taken the form of Jia after being summoned by Jia's mother to call Jia's stepfather who abused her. So, clang, you, clang, clang. <laughs> what did you think about like this this particular part of the episode of revealing who was on the other end of that phone? I've been waiting to for this episode. Because <laughs> I'm just like, I knew... I knew that was a Korean lady speaking mm. on the other side. And, you know, you got to know Tick's story, what happened to him when he when he left. Mm-hmm. Montrose didn't, didn't, you know, was preventing him to do all this, all of this, like, being for the military stuff. Mm-hmm. And yet he still did it. So, and, you know, it's where the Asians get, get seen. And she was really good, the lady. Jamie, mm-hmm. I think Jamie was her name. Jamie Chung, um, yep, Jamie Chung, and she, I haven't really heard much about her, um, but I think she did a really good job here. For sure. Like, it's, like, you can feel her pain, you can see her love, and I, you know, I can identify, because she's a nurse, I'm a nurse, like, what? (laughs) (laughs) She's in a war. I might be in a war. I don't know. It depends. It's 2020. We're all in this, all in this war. We're all in this war. <laughs> Pandemic war. Political war. So, you know, she learns being a nurse, but it her character is very eccentric. Because, you know, she just goes home and, like, literally have sex with these men and kills all of them. Yes. And you're like, why? But how does she kill them? How does she kill them, Danny? I I'm I don't really like describing things like this. I'll describe it then. She has these things that she calls tails that come out of her nose, her ears, her, and her eyes, and, and then, they like pierce the body of 
the person she's having relations with. Basically, when she she's in her climax, this is her words, not mine. <laughs> when she goes into climax, she basically destroys the man. Like it bursts into like she destroys him. All right, like <laughs> like it's like a what do you call those? Like when the party poppers. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. Like, them, like, flesh confetti everywhere. Y- yes, that's why her and mom would clean the room. Like, why are you cleaning the room full of blood? Can I just say? Flesh with, like, a rag. I'm like, I her can't. bed was the bomb. Like, that bedroom was fire. I would want to be in a bedroom like that. Uh, I don't that know. That bed was luxurious. It was in the lits. It was, it was, in, it was to, like, get all the men. <laughs> That was a big bed. That was, big... that was a really all oh, the room. She could like spin several times in that bed and not fall off the edge. It's so big. That's true. It, it that room is literally just a square box, and that was the bed in the middle. So yeah, so um, and it was nice because most of it was in Korean. Mm-hmm. So you got to read the subtitles if you want to get through this episode. Yeah, <laughs> got to do the work. Um. And Tick was his and his younger self, and you know, he was part of the mil part of the army that got, I think, was trying to look for the communist people, in in the hospital and everywhere. So he was part of like one of the one of the soldiers that were there when Gia's like um, best friend was tortured. Mm-hmm. Um, so, also another thing, when Gia's like little thing comes out from her eyes, the tails, all of that comes out. It some of it go to the eye because she said that she can see like that person's past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. So Tick was his like was her one hundred, one hundred. It was supposed to be the one hundredth, because well, what was the reason why she needed to kill one hundred people so she can get rid of this curse. So she can get rid of being a kumiho. Because mm-hmm. the purpose of this was only to destroy his his um, stepfather. Because his stepfather was abusing her and raping her. Mm-hmm. So her mom went to this kind of like shaman lady and was like, please help us. So she did. Mm-hmm. But then afterwards, they were like, oh, how do we reverse this now that the stepfather is dead? So having relations with a hundred men and killing all of them was the key for her curse to be, like, done. Mm-hmm. Tick mm-hmm. was the 100th person, but she ended up falling in love with Tick. Tick, I think, did the same. And when they were have, when they're doing the deed, she she released her nine tails, and then she saw Tick's future. Um, well, she saw, you know, Tick's mom, and then little Tick, and then um, up to the point that he was... He was killed, mm-hmm. so she was she retracted all of her like tails, and threw Tick across the room, and then was like you. And her first words was like, "You do not go home. You are gonna die." Yeah. And Tick was like, "What the fuck just happened?" <laughs> like, because before they had sex, Tick was like, "Nobody. I mean, you can you can't say anything to me that would make me leave you." And then that happened, and Tick was like, I'm out of here. I'm going back to the United States of America. See, that lets you know you can't be making no promises all willy-nilly. <laughs> not knowing what could happen next. <laughs> like, you have to understand that when you say certain things, especially to women, that they're going to be like, oh, okay. And okay. G- and Gia was like, okay, let's have, let's do this thing. And let me show you, I'm a monster. Like, And Tick no. was like... What are you? What is this? Do you think she was going to kill him? Do you think she was trying to get to that place where she could kill him? Um, I think she didn't intentionally try to do it. Because mm. she was really falling in love with him. Like, she was trying to defy her mom. Like, trying to prolong it as long as possible. Um, so she can enjoy the feeling of being loved. And, you know, to love another human being. Because mm. her mother was like, you know... You cannot feel love. For someone that killed your best friend. Yeah, and, you know. And you're a monster. You're and... a monster. Like, children would believe that. She is, 
she's been she's been like this since she was a little girl. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, and in the beginning, she really wanted to kill Tick because she knew that she that um, he was part of the you know group that would have probably killed her best friend. Mm-hmm. But instead, she fell in love with this person while Tick was in the hospital, and then you know they ended up having relations, but. Unfortunately, it had to end, you know, it had to end that way. Um, Tick was kind of like out of the picture now. And then the this episode ends where um, Gia and her mom went to this shaman lady again and was like, I saw I was in a relation with somebody, but I did not kill him because I saw that he would not die with me. Mm-hmm. And she asked was like, would Atticus die? And the lady was like, you haven't even known evil yet. Like, you have not peaked, you know, you're yeah. being evil. Or knowing death, like, mm. she would see death way more. Way more. A than... thousand times over before she could answer that question for her. That scene in particular of when they're walking up to go to see the shaman woman, mm. um, they're playing... Uh, audio of Judy Garland talking about, you know, like why she's so upset about what people read in papers about her and how Mm -hmm. people feel like that is what is true about who she is. Mm -hmm. And I I could see what they were doing when they were talking about Judy Garland in that moment. They were also talking about um, Gia because, you know, it's like this idea of what it is to be, you know, embodied by a Camille And, you know, how her mom kept, you know, saying that she was a monster where she was a woman with feelings who wanted to be loved and be in a relationship with someone. She she was she was straight up regular person. Mm -hmm. The only thing is like she has this curse and, you know, she was feeling everything. She was she just wanted to be loved at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. She had a skewed perception of love because she was abused when she was young. And then leading on forward, her mom just didn't know how to deal with it. So she has the supernatural's help. And even like with her mom, it's kind of like, you know, when she asked that question, would Atticus die? It's like the shaman lady was like, it's asking like, why is this your mother or some sort? And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's. It's kind of like she was put into a position where she didn't really have a control of who she would be with and what she will become. Mm-hmm. But she didn't know that she can actually have like some sort of feelings too, and she can think for herself of some, you know, for 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 a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That she also has free will, because it seemed like you know she had no choice at all. That she had to kill these people mm-hmm. in order to be released. That she. You know, she had to go about life a certain way, and you know, sometimes it's it's not it's it's not like that. It's never like that. No, like never ever. You you set up to have a plan, and then something comes around, and just like, nope. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna make you a spirit that uh, kills dead people. I mean, kills men that you have sex with. You know, it's like, what do you do with that? And you know, you feel like you are destined to live this life for the rest of your life alone and sad and you know Mm -hmm. like she she just after a while she just wanted to be to be happy and free yeah so i think it's the same thing with tick at that point in time he just also wanted to be happy and free he tried to escape the united states because of what is happening and then when he come to the war he's like oh shit it's the same kind of bullshit that I'm stuck with. And what is really being happy and free? Mm-hmm. Like, Tick doesn't have it wherever he goes. Because he doesn't have good relations with his father, with his family. Um, and then, you know, what is happening to, like, America. The segregation. And then when he goes into war, it's the same thing. Like, you know, people fighting for this war... Um, but still, he was still kind of, like, isolated. You know, he was talking in a bench with, like, I think it was an Asian person. Yeah, he was also Korean. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was American-born. I'm I'm assuming that he was American-born. Yeah, he's American-born, because... 
And he was talking about how he's never seen as one or the other. Yep. That he's yep. having to live in this space in between. Mm-hmm. And so him being there is, is not where he wants to be. And so, you know, she's talking to Tick and Tick, you know, he's talking about the treatment that he's getting is much different than where he came from mm-hmm. um, as most, you know, um, black people find when they go to, you know, anywhere that's not America, mm-hmm. that the that the treatment of the people are is much is much different um, in different ways. So this show really talks about what it is to survive the moments that are meant that have been set out to kill you. Oh yeah, and you know for for Gia, you know like even though she was doing the killing the killing was what was killing her yes she and doesn't she like had what she's to survive doing. that moment yeah no who would want to do that for like a hundred times like she's she is almost like dead inside that you can see in her eyes that mm-hmm. it's just like okay i guess here's another man that i you know i can kill mm-hmm. i can trap and kill that would put like you, you would like it's like almost like losing your soul mm-hmm. chipping away every time you do that yeah so what do you think of this like this series so far of one through six? We're like a little bit over the halfway mark. I would keep watching. Um, I think it's really a good show, and I think the worst is yet <laughs> the worst is yet to come. But also, it would be like the best TV ever. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, like, this can't end all that great. I mean, she told him that he was going to die. So, you know, like, you're hoping maybe that vision doesn't come true. Nobody. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But it this, this show has... I have to read this story. I have to read it just to see what was the original intent of the, you know, the main writer. And how these lives intertwine. And, you know, you get, you always get more out of the book than you would yep, the show, no matter always. what you're watching. And maybe, you know, the show had changed a little bit for, like, visual purposes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also important, because, like, in the book, you can read, you know, you can read stuff, but it's still different translating into pictures. Yeah. So, you know, just, just the landscape of, like, putting stuff like for example in korea Mm -hmm. like the costume the the language like yeah the the history the myth and all everything it's just you you gotta dig deep into like if you're gonna make a story about a country you better make sure that that has some basis Mm -hmm. in it Mm -hmm. um because you're you're basically painting a picture of a a culture that you've never known Mm -hmm. so that can also be very touchy i'm not korean but I, I do know, you know, about the Kumiho, the nine-tailed fox. It's a very common um, theme. It's it's kind of like, you know, the Loch Ness Monster. You call it different mm-hmm. everywhere you go. So that was, that was, to me, that was a treat. And I was like, yay, we're going to Asia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited to see what seven and eight have in store. Um, Nine, we're getting <laughs> We're getting towards the end. And, yeah. um, the journey will have to end soon. Yes. But, you know, it's been, it's been really great. Um, we, we, now with like, to me, it has like set up like this high standard of like the next shows that we're going to watch. Yes, definitely. For sure. So even though series has yet to come to an end for us, we have come to the end of said podcast. Yes. So, but before we end, what what was your tiny bite, tiny bite for the podcast? My tiny bite, yes. Like, as it what I would rate it? No, like the food that we. Had. Oh, the food. The food uh, as you're... you can see, I'm not. I don't know what I'm talking about right now because we had no food for the tiny bite. We had some more alcohol i think this is the where we're going right now like what is food we've been drinking almost every single podcast (laughs) for the last month so um we had uh dene brought me back a lovely glass twist off glass of a bottle of um 
grape muscadine wine. Wine. Um, it is absolutely delicious. It gets you tipsy from the first <laughs> sip. This is like moonshine to me right now. It's really good. <laughs> it tastes like communion wine, according to Veronica. <laughs> if you've never had muscadine, I, I encourage you to go out and try that delectable <laughs> fruit of the South. Um, Welcome to the South. Yeah, because when I, when I opened it, I looked at the bottle, I was like, oh, I got to instantly take a picture and send it to my sister because she loves muscadine like the fruit itself so it's to see very, it in wine form is like what it's very pleasant and sweet it is very sweet but we ain't complaining no because it's getting the job done and so. we, sometimes you just kind of need that sweetness in your life when everything is kind of like dark yes and bland <laughs> so when this podcast releases you know, we don't know. We don't know where our world will be when this podcast comes out. So if you are listening after the fact of the U.S. elections, hold on, my friend. Hold on. Hopefully we won't need to be drinking so heavily when we, when we resume our episodes. But um, you'll never you never know. You never know. If you ha- if you um, didn't go vote, uh, fuck you. <laughs> if you did vote. I hope you voted for the right person that wasn't racist um, and had several wives and just recently got COVID. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but just in <laughs> case you don't know, we don't say his name around these here parts. But um, yeah, I really hope that everyone went out and, and rocked their vote. Yep, that's our civil duty, our right that we must exercise. Yes. Because you can't complain if you didn't vote. You can't complain. No. So keep voting. Keep voting. <laughs> keep voting. And keep those that, complaints coming. And with that, <laughs> I bid you adieu. Deuces. Good night. Good morning. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.